Hello, and thank you for listening to today's episode of JAT Cast, the official podcast of the Journal of Athletic Training. My name is Luke Donovan, and I will be your host. When I am not podcasting, I'm a faculty member in the athletic training program at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. A little housekeeping before we get started. I just want to remind everybody that both papers we will be discussing today can be found on the JAT website, and that all content from JAT is open access meaning it is free of charge to all readers thanks to the funding from the National Athletic Trainers Association. On today's podcast, I will be summarizing an article from the most recent issue of the Journal of Athletic Training. My primary goal is to try to provide you with the best information from this article that you can apply to your clinical practice. Following the article summary, we will be joined by Dr. Doris Hankemeyer to discuss her latest work that was also published in the most recent issue of JAT. Let's take a minute and survey the scene. Today's articles deal with the professional and educational development aspects of athletic training. Both of the articles discussed today fit under the professional concerns subheading and pertain to first, job satisfaction, and second, interprofessional practices among collegiate athletic trainers. As our profession continues to go through an educational transition, these topics will continue to be extremely relevant and hopefully more commonly studied. Let's discuss some specifics and key points related to the recent article, initial validation of a multi-level model of job satisfaction and career intentions among collegiate athletic trainers. This article was by Dr. Eason and colleagues from LaSalle College, the University of Connecticut, and Northern Illinois University. In this paper, the author's objective was to validate a multi-level model of career intentions and job satisfaction among athletic trainers who are employed in a collegiate setting. To date, There are numerous studies pertaining to the work-life interface of athletic trainers, especially considering the perception that collegiate athletics never sleeps. Due to this perception, athletic trainers in the collegiate sports setting are often expected to be available around the clock, with success and dedication being defined based on time spent working. Although valuable information can be derived from the literature as it pertains to job satisfaction and work-life balance, most of these previous studies examine work-life interface unidimensionally, through an individual, organizational, or sociocultural perspective. Therefore, in order to have a holistic understanding of work-life interface for athletic trainers in the collegiate setting, a multi-level model that encompasses perspectives from individual, organizational, and sociocultural sources is warranted. Prior to moving forward, let's provide the operational definition of each level that Dr. Eason and colleagues used in their study. Individual factor analysis focuses on a person's preferences, personality, family structure, and gender. Organizational factor analysis examines organizational culture, work hours and scheduling, and job stresses. And finally, sociocultural factor analysis studies the effect of gender ideology and cultural norms and expectations. Now let's discuss the methods. The authors used a previously established multi-level model created by Dixon and Brunin to serve as their theoretical framework when creating the model specific towards athletic trainers. In order to validate the model, the investigators sent an online questionnaire to over 1,600 athletic trainers who are currently employed in the collegiate setting. Approximately 18% of the sent surveys were completed by a cohort of Division I, two, and three athletic trainers that represented the demographic diversity of NATA members. The questionnaire administered was comprised of the following components. 
questions about general demographics, and seven previously validated survey instruments that assess the individual, organizational, and sociocultural factors. The total survey consisted of 88 questions. The authors were able to reduce the survey from 88 questions to 62 questions while maintaining questions from each of the three factors. Furthermore, the question in its entirety proved to be a valid instrument to assess job satisfaction and career intentions in athletic trainers who are full-time employees within a collegiate setting. The key take-home points that the authors provided are as follows. Job satisfaction and career intentions can be more thoroughly examined by way of a multi-level approach. Also, individual, organizational, and sociocultural level factors should be included in an assessment of the job satisfaction and in career intentions of athletic trainers. And finally, this model would benefit from continued examination and may ultimately be used to better understand outcomes of work-life interface. I'm excited to see the results of the second component of the study that evaluated the job satisfaction and career intentions using the developed multi-level model in collegiate athletic trainers. Let's all be on the lookout for that study once it is published. Now we would like to transition to the author interview portion of the podcast. Today we'll be interviewing Dr. Doris Hankemeyer from Ball State University about a recent publication in the Journal of Athletic Training. Hi, Dr. Hankemeyer. It's great to have you on JATCast. Thanks for having me, Luke. I look forward to speaking with you. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, yeah, I'm originally from Iowa and I received my bachelor's degree uh, in exercise science from Central College. And then I went on to pursue my master's of science at education at the post-professional athletic training program at Old Dominion University. Um, and that's where I really kind of got interested in education and teaching. And after that, I was um, working both clinically and teaching for about five years at Anderson University and still was really interested in wanting to go more full-time into academics and research. So I decided to pursue my PhD um, back at Old Dominion University. I got a PhD in human movement science with an emphasis in curriculum and instruction. And um, after graduating there, I was hired on as a professor in the athletic training program at Ball State University. Um, I've done a lot of research in um, clinical education and teaching and implementation of the healthcare competencies. Thank you. Can you provide a brief background and summary of your latest work titled Perceptions of Interprofessional and Collaborative Practice in Collegiate Athletic Trainers? Yes, we were interested in looking at athletic trainers in the collegiate setting not only what they believed and how they felt about interprofessional collaborative practice, but also for those that were providing patient care, how frequently that was happening and what that interprofessional collaborative practice looked like in their patient care. Uh, we did a census sampling of all of our uh, collegiate athletic trainers in the NATA membership. And from that survey, we then asked them to kind of rate a several constructs. Um, the first part of the survey looked at those constructs related to their perceptions of interprofessional collaborative practice. And the constructs that we looked at um, kind of fell in line with the interprofessional 
and collaborative practice core competencies, which are ATs perceptions of working with other healthcare professionals, um, how ATs perceive they're engaged in collaborative practice, athletic trainers perceptions on the influences of collaborative practice, and then as well as the influences on the roles and responsibilities and autonomy in collaborative practice. And so that was the first section of the survey, um, really looking at them in terms of just if they agreed with or disagreed with some of the constructs and statements within those constructs. Then those athletic trainers who were practicing clinically, we wanted to kind of know how frequently or how often um, ATs were seeing and doing these concepts in their clinical practice. And so we looked at, again, two constructs in that area on the effect of communication and collaborative practice, and then also the effects of patient involvement and in collaborative practice. Was there anything specific uh, that led you to develop this project? It kind of came a little bit twofold in talking with my students about interprofessional practice and working with other healthcare professionals. I kept hearing from my students that they weren't seeing it a lot in the clinical setting. And so it was kind of a harder concept for them to grasp other than just, you know, picking up a phone and calling another professional. And so then I started talking more with my, our preceptors and I realized that a lot of times our preceptors really looked at interprofessional and collaborative practice as something they only did when they were maybe stuck with a patient, a difficult patient, as opposed to something that they were doing in a regular um, part of their clinical practice. So this led my colleague and I to sort of develop this survey instrument to look at these perceptions kind of decided to start with the collegiate athletic training setting because it makes up about 23% of all of the NATA members and they have a really large patient panel with some unique um, challenges in terms of administrative structure and reporting structures. Do you think that there are any other limitations pertaining to your uh, measurement techniques of perception and interprofessional collaborative practice that you want the listeners to know about? I think anytime we're asking about perceptions, um, there's limitations in terms of understanding how a participant may perceive a particular question. Um, as with survey research, there's always some response bias and maybe even non-response bias if we didn't get responses from those individuals who maybe weren't as familiar with interprofessional practice or maybe weren't practicing in that manner, they may just not have responded. And I think that's something we need to um, realize as we look at this information, you know, it is a sample. We do feel it's um, representative of those individuals, but um, anytime you're asking for someone's perception, it is self-reported. And so it's kind of hard to really know if that's truly what's happening. The other thing is we did define interprofessional and collaborative practice for the participant, but everyone maybe came in with a different idea of what that is and may have had difficulties kind of switching to the definition that we wanted them to use for it. I definitely commend you and your authors on being able to measure uh, the perception of perception of <laughs> different topics. So I, I can definitely understand how um, you can perceive that as a limitation, but then, you know, through your, your study design, be able to tease out to, to ensure that you're quantifying what, you, what your original research question was. Overall, what do you think was the most important finding of this project? Probably one of the biggest ones that we found maybe most eye-opening and 
maybe alarming that we couldn't really understand was that on average, I think 42% of our participants stated that their patient care was performed in a collaborative manner, which I think is a really interesting statistic considering that all athletic trainers should be working in collaboration and under the direction of a physician. And so you would think that more of our participants would report that they practice in collaboration. So I think that was one finding and you know maybe it's just that they take for granted that their working relationship with their physician and don't look at it as interprofessional and collaborative practice. Um, or maybe it is that they actually aren't interacting with that collaborating and overseeing physician as much as we think they should be or as sort of our BOC standards of practice dictate. Um, so that was one um, interesting finding for us as well uh, as participants who had a healthcare provider, whether it was a physician or other healthcare professional in the same physical location as them, they displayed significantly more communication and collaborative practice as well as patient involvement in the in patient care than those who did not have a healthcare professional physically in their same location. And so I think as uh, athletic trainers and clinicians are looking at improving this, we really have to think about access and accessibility to other healthcare providers. You provide a, a strong rationale of why you started this project in collegiate athletic trainers. Uh, do you mind sharing or describing what a follow-up project might be to make these results more generalizable throughout the profession? And Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, the previous study that we've published looked at secondary school, clinic, professional, military, performing arts, so looked at all athletic trainers across the board, and we stratified that sample to make sure we had individuals across the board. And the findings, I would say, were fairly similar to those in the collegiate setting, but I do believe every setting is going to have its own certain nuances. Um, I think, and that's the biggest thing, is we could conduct this study this study again using the survey with secondary school athletic trainers and I think we'd find similar results but we may have some specific nuances that are related to to that and it, it comes down to probably some of those resources and you know being able to collaborate right on site with other healthcare professionals I think will probably be the biggest difference at the secondary school. If you were to provide advice to an athletic trainer, regardless in an academic role or a clinical role, what advice would you provide them to improve upon the perception and implementation of interprofessional collaborative practice? I think there's a couple different things. I think first and foremost, interprofessional practice has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. And I think that's probably the biggest take-home point that Interprofessional collaborative practice really isn't working alongside other healthcare providers. It's not just communicating with another healthcare provider. It, interprofessional collaborative practice is about shared decision making for the best interests of the patient. So I think a lot of times of like, oh yeah, I do interprofessional collaborative practice because I communicate with the physician or I've talked to the physical therapist or the nutritionist or the support psychologists, whoever it may be, about this patient, but may not always be shared decision-making and shared patient care. Um, I think the other thing 
that has come up a lot is athletic trainers are still frustrated that a lot of healthcare professionals and professionals don't understand our scope of practice. So not only do we need to be continue to be diligent in explaining our roles and responsibilities, we also really need to make sure that we seek out to understand the roles and responsibilities of our other healthcare colleagues. Thank you. I'm going to steal some of this stuff come Thursday morning when I teach our senior level uh, <laughs> students in our rehabilitation class about uh, some collaborative opportunities and and being able to um, boast our strength, but then also learn from other professions. Uh, based off this article and your other work, what's your next big question? Yeah, I think um, there's been such a big push for interprofessional collaborative practice in, in education, interprofessional education activities. And I think what a lot of places have done, at least in the education realm, is really kind of done out of convenience. So based on what other healthcare professions you have near you or in maybe your school or college, you do activities related around those healthcare professions. And I think um, we really need to know what are the best healthcare professions for us to be teaching students. Is it pharmacy? Because that's the only profession that you have on your campus or should we be targeting specific athletic training or specific opportunities and other professions for those students to be interacting with. So I think that's kind of where we're going to go next in terms of talking with clinicians to figure out where should we be targeting some of these IPE activities. Um, that's probably my next biggest question. I think the biggest question as it relates to interprofessional practice, not only in athletic training, but really across medicine, is we don't yet really have great patient outcomes data. So if a patient is treated in a manner that involves several members of the healthcare team and they work together collaboratively, are we really improving the patient outcomes? Well, you teed me up for the last question as you started talking about some of the reading of the research, but uh, what's the best paper that you've read lately? I would say the best paper I've read actually hasn't probably had a lot to do with interprofessional practice, but it does have to do with education and preceptors, um, which is my other focus. Um, but Sarah Nottingham's article um, recently about actual and perceived questions and using some bug and ear technology it was really interesting. Um, it talked about the disconnect that preceptors thought they were asking much higher level questions than what they were actually asking. Um, and as a clinical education coordinator, I'm always encouraging our preceptors to challenge our students with higher level questions that reflect clinical reasoning and giving them to process um, clinical practice a little bit more um, and this article was really showing that most preceptors are asking very low level sort of knowledge related questions and so kind of I thought that was really interesting and kind of gave some ideas on how to challenge um, preceptors to ask those types of questions. Dr. Hankemeyer I want to take the time to say thank you for providing us with a summary of your latest work in the Journal of Athletic Training. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss the paper with you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, that's it for today's JAT cast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Also, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JAT underscore NATA on all three platforms. Thank you for listening and keep a lookout for next month's JAT cast.